0: Hello, and welcome to episode one of What's Stopping You? Joining me is my co-host, Shai Schechter and Drew Bredvik. Drew works at Versell. I don't know exactly what you do. I think it's product, sales. Yeah, uh,
1: it's sales engineering. It's an interesting role not a lot of people know about, but sales engineering. Sales plus being a developer.
0: Our goal for this episode is to help you. We're going to try to help you through a problem that you're currently stuck on. If we can help you through this problem we have been successful. Can you tell us a little bit of a background of the the project that you're working on? And then we'll get into the specific place where you're stuck and talk about how we might be able to help you.
1: Yeah, so I'm working on a project called registered.dev. And I started this project after seeing quite a few problems in the sales engineering space. So what is sales engineering, right? We should probably start there because most developers have no clue what sales engineering is. Sales engineering is pretty much just the going back and forth of figuring out in a sales process, being the technical resource for both the company. So I work at Vercel and companies that might be considering using Vercel. So I'm the like go-to technical person when you're evaluating if Vercel is a good fit for you or not. And that is a field where it's great to know a lot of business, like what business value is Vercel going to be adding to these people's day jobs, but also what technical blocker when you're migrating from Next hosted in a Kubernetes cluster to Next on Vercel, what are the common gotchas, how can I help you get up and running? And I transitioned to this role almost two years ago, and it's... Uh, kind of a a bit of a jump from just a traditional engineering role right it's a lot more customer facing involves sales i work hand in hand with an account executive pretty much just the person selling brucelle and so it's slightly less technical than a traditional standard engineering job but one of the pros is you get to see the inside of a business and like how it works um Registered.dev is born out of seeing all of these problems that exist in the process of buying software, but skewed specifically towards technical products. So I don't want to build a sales tool that helps. If you're just selling some random SaaS on the internet, this tool isn't going to be built for you. It's more built for dev tool companies specifically, because there's some things that are a little bit different in a sales process for a company like Vercel than, I don't know, just some standard SaaS.
0: Okay. It said Salesforce for dev tool companies, something where there's more of a technical aspect to the sales cycle. It's not just emails back and forth. There's some other technical thing that's happening that needs to be kept track of.
1: Yeah. Salesforce has no concept of what a GitHub repository is, right? Mm-hmm. That's just something that is entirely missing in that space. And there's quite a bit of manual work. Some things that could be automated, some things that could be shared across deals. Because if you're doing a bunch of bespoke work for one deal, it's kind of the same concept of dry, do not repeat yourself. You want to reuse those assets across deals so that you're not doing a bunch of bespoke work every single time to to close a deal.
0: Why is this important for you to work on? You, you're you enjoying your job at Vercel. It yeah. sounds like making a lot of money.
1: Is this something to help you
0: make your job easier to be able to automate and scale? How are you thinking about this?
1: Yeah. So, the problems I've seen, I guess to start, I've always been someone who like tinkers and builds projects on the side, even before I worked at Vercel. I think I've, the other, I think two years ago, I did a retro on how many projects I had. Started and maybe shut down or failed or killed something like that. And it was at least twelve that had gone like full the full through the full cycle of idea to domain to actually having code and actually having a working project. If you count the graveyard of domains that I have that have never seen in the light of day, they just sit in my Google domains. But that's even higher. So I'm always thinking about what I want to build and things like that, and I'll always do that regardless of where I work. But joining sales engineering has been very eye-opening in terms of products or spaces that are underserved. Part of it is, yes, these are all things that could be made a lot better during Vercel's sales process. But I think the thing that happens at a lot of these companies is you solve it at your current company and no one pulls back and generalizes the solution. Like, we're working on making all of these things better at Vercel right now ourselves, by just making a new Word doc and creating a new format and all of these different things. But that does fix the problem at Vercel to an extent. But I just saw a really good opportunity to kind of take the generalizations, learn, take the learnings from these fixes that we're applying at Vercel and generalizing them a little more.
0: Okay. I see that I see the benefit to society that you can take this these SOPs that you're developing at for sale and, and bring this to the world. I think what I'm more curious about is individually what is this doing for you? Is this ah. a compulsion to start new projects, which yeah. Shai and I both share? <laughs> is this that you would like to be moving into SaaS? What how would this change your life if this became a product?
1: So part compulsion, right? I will always start projects, but also have always dreamed of someday running my own SaaS full-time and things like that. All of that to be said, I love my job at Purcell. I'm not leaving anytime soon. But I think if you were to, you know, sitting back and the new year coming up, good time to reflect and think, what do I want to be doing in 10 years? In 10 years, I would like to be running my own profitable SaaS and kind of with a small team. And in that vein, I want to be doing things that make progress in that direction.
2: Okay, that's right try anything here before we move to specific problems the main thing i'm curious to know is it sounds like you're building something that would benefit you in the day job right now mm-hmm. and it'll benefit your team how much have you done to identify who else it would help are there other examples that you could pinpoint like here are a dozen companies people in companies even that i know immediately like this would help them as well or is it are you coming from i know this would help me i haven't spoken to other people where are you at with that
1: Yeah, so I've done a couple things here. One is I've found competitors that already exist. And so have validated that and they've some of them have raised funding, some of them are a little bigger and more established, some of them are newer. And in the space, so I've done that validation in the sense of I think there is a market here. And with those tools, essentially I'm just niching down a little bit. So If you're taking the top-down approach of, is there a market for this, I think I've justified that. For the specific functionality and differentiators, I do have quite a few relationships with folks at various dev tool companies. And if you are one of those people actually, and you're interested in sales tooling, and you work at a dev tool company, my DMs are open on Twitter. Please slide into them. But the approach I'm going to be taking there is, I want to get something demoable first that feels real. And then I'm gonna take it to a bunch of those folks. It's also I was previously using the excuse of, "Hey, it's the holidays. Nobody wants to hop on a call over the holidays." Uh, but using that excuse <laughs> ex- that excuse is running to its end here shortly.
2: I yeah, I want to dig more into that. So you've got the holiday excuse. Fine, I would push back more on that if this were the beginning of the holidays, but that excuse is running out anyway. So I don't need to push <laughs> it back. But but the other one of I'm curious why you want to why you want to move the product further and how much further you want to move the product before you bring this to those peers that you have in the industry
1: yeah the way I'm thinking about it is it needs to be real enough for because what I'm going to go for is if I build this, will you commit to buying it and so i'm looking for I'm looking for kind of a strong verbal commitment and That's one thing to do, like, customer... I think there's two buckets. There's kind of the customer research bucket, and then there's the, like, pre-selling bucket. I... In the customer research bucket, I've kind of been rather thorough about examining our sales process at Burcell, asking some of my peers at Burcell for feedback, and then my, my boss, Ben Seymour, he's also on Twitter, has been doing sales engineering for a very long time. And I'm going to be getting some feedback from him as soon as I have something tangible as well. So I think between getting quite a bit of feedback from people internally and then I guess what I'm saying here is my goal is to have something a little more real before I do too many interviews because I know the problem really well. Like I've been doing, I've probably, how many deals do I think I've been on Eversell? I don't think I can probably share that number, but I have been very involved in quite a few deals so i think from the sense of building the, the like scratching my own itch thing i think is at least going to solve the problems for a company like versell and i think a company like versell is my perfect target customer if that makes sense
2: okay so it sounds like you're saying that because that you're essentially you're building this product for you as well as for others like you think you've got a good sense of what needs to be built yeah take that demo you could take the building process a little bit further before you need to get too much research from yeah external sources
1: yeah because if it was a niche that i didn't know a lot about or or a niche that that didn't have clearly defined competitors already i think i'm using those two things to justify not spending a week doing customer calls and then my hope is to have something real when i do those customer calls so that the feedback means more if that makes sense okay. because if i show you a demo and you've got feedback i think your feedback going to be much more actionable than if i just talk about something in the abstract
2: okay and how do you feel about the idea of those customer calls when they come is that something that like, really excites um, yeah. you is that something you're kind of putting
1: off I would say I'm putting it off in the nature only of like I've done plenty of calls it's probably in the thousands so I'm not putting off the fact of like I'm I'm happy to hop on a call and talk to people but the act of going to your network and saying hey I'm working on this thing please please give me feedback on it that's the thing I'm putting off if that makes sense
2: okay yeah and so with that in mind that's why I'm that's why I want to get a good sense of like the justifications you gave for why you're why you're not bringing this to other people yet they're convincing but (laughs) given what you've said about your feelings about that next step i am curious to dig into whether they are
1: true yes i think we've arrived at uh, um probably what is the like um what do you call the your achilles heel is it something like that pretty much My wife says I can convince myself of anything, and I think she's probably right. This, you've probably picked a rough first guest in terms of are these things true or not. In my mind, they are. So I guess I think I can probably, the reason I'm letting myself not do the customer calls is because I think I can probably get to a good enough outcome with with just skipping this step. Now, if I was giving this advice to somebody else, would I say, hey, skip this step? Probably not, even if you do know the domain really well because it starts these relationships. Then it can be easier to do the pre-sale thing later, and then they're warm instead of, I don't know, like mildly warm, like lukewarm. They'll actually be, like, warm or hot. Yes, I agree with you. There's there's a plenty of good reasons to go do this, and I probably should.
2: Okay. Um, this is cool. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> there's no but this is good right this is yeah we're getting to um, the bottom
1: of my psychology yeah are you feeling
2: a little bit uncomfortable right now i hope that's perfect a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) is perfect (laughs) we'll ride that no and look the thing is it's it there's a spectrum right on the one hand you could sit and build this completely in the dark for years with no landing page no communication with the outside world ndas with anyone you tell it like I've yeah. been there before, many years ago. That, that's one end, that's one extreme. And then on the other extreme, you could decide to go out and do these calls before you've built anything, thought about anything. And the perfect spot, there isn't one perfect spot and it's not a clear black and white. And so one of the questions is like, if you could do this building stage, you, if you could throw a demo together very quickly and then take that to to your peers, to the market for feedback, then yeah, fine. And even if you are doing it as an avoidance, Tactic. <laughs> if the downside isn't much, like, right. then whatever. Run yeah, it. Like, I think that's lean, where lean into your weaknesses, it's fine. So I guess the question is how long will this actually take to get to that point? Yeah. If it would take a long time, then it might be worth digging more into. Let's question this. That's uh, a really good so, question.
1: So I've been making to talk about the estimation of what I've got to build a little bit of a plug for my day job here. Vercel, Next.js, the starter kit, uh, platform starter kit that Stephen Tay made. Using all of the things that I've, that I regularly learn about at my day job. So it speeds things up quite a bit. I'm actually moving rather fast on development of this, like what I have as an ideal state for kind of a rough MVP. The things that will take longer. So there's the platform. Then I probably need to integrate with some different CRMs, one being Salesforce, even though that's the tool I'm despising in my landing page copy. I probably do need to integrate with them. Maybe HubSpot. For which CRMs to integrate, I definitely want that to be a customer-led, what are customers saying they want me to integrate with. So that's something where I do a bunch of user research and not really build it before getting that validated. Those pieces are going to probably take a little longer, though. I think... Because it, put simply, my app is a big CRUD app, right? It's just a bunch of simple logic, mostly. It needs to send a couple emails. It needs to enforce state in a couple weird spots, but it's mostly a CRUD app. I can build that rather quickly. The, like, crazy syncing engine back and forth with Salesforce and complying with their crazy API requirements and then getting in their marketplace and all those other things, like, that's going to be a beast. So my thought was build the MVP for the first thing and kind of get feedback on that before I build the crazy Salesforce syncing stuff.
2: Okay, and how far through that are you? How much? If you think about what that MVP needs to have in your mind, how much of that have you done? How much is still to do? How long does that take?
1: Let me look at my whiteboard for one second.
0: He's got a whiteboard, that's a good sign. (laughs)
1: <laughs> whiteboard's a good sign. <laughs> it's a green flag.
2: It's, in fact, it's all you need for a successful... Yes, oh, you have a whiteboard. We, we don't need to be doing oh, this. Oh, good. we're
1: good. <laughs> okay, so there's probably a bunch of styling things I need to fix, but two main pieces of functionality out of ten remain. So I've I've kind okay. of done decent there. That doesn't include anything with the Salesforce syncing, though. I haven't even touched... That bucket of stuff.
2: The reason I'm pushing so far down this line is because, in my own experience and the experience of everyone I've ever seen deal with things like this, the there will like once you bring it to those people, you will learn that that there are things that they want that are very different than you envisaged, even if you're building something for yourself. Yeah. And so the further you go down the building line, the
1: more uh, challenging that becomes. That's very fair. I think I think that means like what are those core assumptions that break?
2: And I'm not sure you can even guess. And that's the thing. Like, I I have tried very hard in in these things in the past to try and guess them beforehand. And even yeah. even to the point of like, I've done that thing of okay, I know that this is not ready. I know that this I know that everyone is going to get to this point and get stuck. But I'm just going to do it anyway on a call with them, and I'll watch them get stuck, and then we'll figure it out from there. And they all blast straight through that point without any difficulty and i'm like oh they did not get stuck on the point where i knew they would and then they get stuck on some other point that i was totally convinced would be super intuitive for them look maybe that's just me maybe you are better at estimating these things than i am i've just i've never seen it it's just it doesn't, it doesn't just I've work never seen i agree way. with that i
1: think the takeaway there then is i probably shouldn't spend too much time on any like ui polish or anything like that I should just get the f- core functionality working and get it in front of people as as quickly as possible in that sense so that they can, so that I can do these, hey, let's get you an account and try this out and see how it's working for you and things like that and get like actual product feedback earlier rather than spending time on, on the polish. That sounds like
2: it could be a reasonable approach. How do you feel about that?
1: It feels pretty good. I think the demo thing that I was hoping to do, though, was pretty much even before I would be at that state. So I um, I think I'm still gonna stick with the demo thing of if I can, because to get to a demo state, right? Like I don't need to have payments working. I don't need to have a million things working. You can just, you can do a demo of like, here is an account that already is populated with data. So you can just skip all these other CRUD places to build because you've just manually inserted things in the database. And so I think that approach is what probably gets me feedback the quickest. I'm not sure, though. Is there a difference between feedback from me demoing something versus feedback from me giving you an account and you signing into it? Like those... It's easy to watch me drive through something when I know where I'm going. Like, the... A very weird comparison here, but like I had a friend growing up who lived in the country as a kid, and I'm pretty sure he could drive that with no headlights, just going home because he knows the road. Is that a good idea? No, he probably could. I would turn my brights on. Like I I drove to his house many times, but I need the brights and somebody else driving through my site, probably. It's different to sit in passenger and watch that person drive versus driving yourself.
2: Okay, so which of those is going to be most useful? Is it does it make sense to get to the quickest possible point where you can demo it to them and then do that? Or and like yeah, you won't, yeah you're right, it's not the same kind of feedback as when they're using it, but I guess the fundamental question is what do you want to get from these people Yeah, that's what this? I was.
1: I guess it's like my gut instinct says am I solving a problem your business would pay for is what I want an answer to. Okay. Um not is my UX well-designed. So I don't really, like, to all the UX people out there, I do care about UX. I'm not, but at the MVP state, it's not as important to me.
0: Learning if you're solving a problem that a business would pay for is something that you do with products, if you're just describing what the product is. And something, I think, that the thing that I'm most interested in pushing on is, like, there are lots of reasons for doing interviews at one stage or another, what the advantages are. But the the thing that I find myself most curious about is that there seems to be emotional resistance for the way that you phrased it is pleading for feedback. It feels like there's something there that you may be intellectualizing a reason for not talking to more people up front, that maybe it's like a fear of rejection that you're going to show someone this after you've thought it's it's a really cool idea and ask someone if they would actually pay for it. The answer might be no. That that would suck. That would uh, be painful. And so, the longer you can push that down the line, the uh, the safer it's going to be. That's a place that that's I've fair. Stuck that's... in for a, a lot of projects. For yeah.
1: Okay, so maybe my um. So I've I've identified twelve target customers. I think I was mostly putting off talking to them via the reasoning that you know early on Google's founders said. It's better if people find out about Google later because we don't want you to use it today because tomorrow it will be a better product. And so your first interaction with the product will be better. Um, I think I'm probably using that justification to say, look, I want these 12 target customers here. These are like my only good leads that I know have a high chance of closing. So I don't want to waste them. Now, if you can correct my thinking here in the sense of like maybe bringing them into building the product and letting them see it at an earlier phase is better.
0: Are there only 12 customers for this thing?
1: No, the- there there are quite a few more. Okay. The dev tool market, according to Crunchbase, is 3,768 companies and that's compounding annually at 14.6%.
0: So let's say you hop on a call with each of these 12 people and you just completely embarrass yourself. You insult them, they end the call and they hate you. They're like, this true guy is terrible. How might you find out of those thousand people, how might you get 12 more of them on the phone?
1: I would probably just look through Vercel's Slack to connect and see who else I could find that I have a good connection with and go add them on LinkedIn and go message them of, hey, you're in a similar space we're in, right? Companies... Vercel has a very extensive Slack connect setup. I think every dev tool company I've ever heard of has a channel with us. And so just figuring which companies fit into that bucket of ones that are obviously in the dev tool space and are probably a little younger. I think it's probably easier to sell to a dev tool company who is a year or two old versus Microsoft. So definitely biasing earlier in the life cycle. But all of that to say, yes, I think I could find 12 more companies that are on this list.
0: Okay. How does that feel? Is that hopping on the Slack connect and finding new ones?
1: Is that a- it? feels. It feels like it's okay. I probably just need to go have these conversations anyway. Finding the correct people shouldn't be too hard because I picked these companies because I have good connections there. So finding the right people to actually go talk to shouldn't be a big deal. And then... 30 minutes on my calendar is not a big deal either. All of that to say, there's not that great of a reason that I haven't had those calls, Christian. Okay. I do wonder, though, if I'm, there's this concept of, I guess in my mind, I'm viewing these sales opportunities the same way I view for sales sales opportunities. Where, say something goes wrong in a conversation, deal goes bad or whatever, the people just disappear. And then they'd never talk to me again. That is not going to be necessarily true for these early feedback customers that I'm talking about here, right? These are friends that I have that work at other companies. They're not just going to disappear if, if the tool isn't a good fit for them. Right. So I guess, I guess I'm falsely conflating these two things.
0: And this is the core thing that we'd like to help you on. Like you don't. You have no obligation to justify to us why you're taking an action or not. Oh yeah, uh, this is so. the
1: best way my brain works. Anyway, is like just talking through things out loud. It's quite annoying to all the people around me, but at a podcast setting, it works pretty well. Sure. <laughs> that's a.
0: That's insightful. Also, that the, making a bad impression, having a customer call go bad in the context of your day job at for sale, has a very real consequence, and those people just disappear and you don't see them again. So it makes sense to me that you might be framing the conversations that you would have with people about registered.dev in the same sort of context that you really need to make a good first impression you got to nail it on the first try and if not they're just going to disappear and you're never going to see them again so i i think the thing i'm most curious of at this point is digging for other resistance in that spot particularly the, the way you phrased it pleading for feedback tell me more about that what what because that does sound bad. I don't want to Yeah, that sound does sound bad. <laughs> that
1: does sound bad. Yeah, framing
0: that that sort of
1: I'm not sure why the phrase pleading for feedback came out, but you're probably onto something there. People have busy calendars. They owe me nothing. Um asking for 30 minutes for feedback on a product that's not real yet also feels maybe they're taking this call because Drew works at Vercel and uh, would sure would be nice if Vercel promoted our tweet uh, or whatever. I'm cautious. I don't want to be dipping into any buckets of goodwill that aren't necessarily mine to dip into, if that makes sense. Like, I'm cautious about the the Vercel affiliation piece of it, if that makes sense, because obviously this is not a Vercel product. This is my product. It's hosted on Vercel. And it uses a lot of Vercel open source, but which is there's a lot of overlap here between my day job and this side project space. So I guess I'm just cautious to those relationships I'm being extra cautious and guarded with, if that makes sense. So maybe it'd be better if I just picked random companies. I think I would feel better if these companies didn't have a Slack connect with Vercel and I'd never even heard of Vercel or don't even use it in any way. That would almost make me feel better.
0: That's interesting that that would feel better. I could see that also in increasing your feelings of abundance of this audience if you know that there's a channel in a way that you can just get, tap into this unlimited bucket of these thousands of companies and get them on the phone. That yeah. okay. Whatever that method is of getting them on a call can then
1: become part of your sales pipeline. Okay. So we've decided, it, it feels like that is the easiest switch is just switching from companies that have very tight, close relationships with Vercel to ones that have no relationship to Vercel, at least for customer feedback. I think it's also a good way for me to... Something Stripe did that was pretty impressive early on was they intentionally set their fees higher than their competition, and it's because it made them build a more useful product. You're not going to pay higher fees if your product isn't great. I think if I go after customers that have a lower propensity to say yes to me, I might build a better product. If I go directly to someone who might just buy it out of having a good relationship with me, that feels like a less solid data point.
0: It does seem like there's a lot of emotion tied up in the relationships that you have with these companies that were built through Yeah, that you may not fully trust that the motivation is. There there are myriad other reasons why that company would be interested in something you were building that aren't necessarily because the product is good and it solves a problem that they want to pay money for.
1: Yeah. And also just the being cautious of double dip is the wrong phrase here. I'm kind of looking for, even though I'm serving a segment that is very close to Vercel, mm-hmm. I kind of want a strong segmentation between Vercel and this project, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want the walls to be blurred between them because this is definitely my project there are things i've learned at the day job that i'm taking into it but yeah i get. i guess just the segmentation there matters because i want to feel good about i if say someday i have to go into court and answer did i use any of my versell resources to to uh, complete this project and is this project my ip i would like to say yes it is my ip and so the caution here comes out of two places one's maybe emotional but the other might be like actually legal now is this me rationalizing something using something that i know to decide i don't want to do the thing that i just put up an emotional wall around maybe but but also it sounds reasonable right this that may
2: well be the reason that may well be what got you to saying it but i think it is also it's a legitimate concern yeah. and even there are cases where uh, there are stories where things like that have happened and then even though you even though the person hasn't used any of the resources from their company the fact that they were doing it on work time or even while they were employed there like it it can cause some messy situations in the future yeah. so it is a valid thing to be thinking about is this entirely separate am i confident that it's going to whether it's a, whether it's taking people from slack connect or not like you do want to make sure that it's that it is seen practically legally as your own separate thing that's yeah. valid it should think... stop you from making any progress but it's something to make sure of
1: and do you think though Versal has proven to be a very okay spot for side projects. Go look at the DevRel people at Vercel. They're all launching a million things of their own projects and things like that. So I think my concern there is slightly unfounded because there's plenty of examples of people at Vercel doing similar things and being 100% fine and getting the easiest thing the to do is
2: employees. if you're confident that your boss will be fine with it you get them to write something to confirm that they're fine with the side project and then you never have to I, um, so yeah I, I don't think the concern is invalid I think if you let it stop you from ever making any progress on this thing that might be <laughs> unfounded but okay. yeah no, do the paperwork
1: um, is what I'm hearing which makes sense I can I'll see my boss Tuesday I'll ask him about it
2: The in terms of the like what you said about not sure, not being sure how you feel about tapping into those relationships that you've got while you're at your day job, that I think that's very fair. And I think it sounds like you've worked your way towards a possible alternative that you might feel more comfortable with. You might find that there are some exceptions as well. There could be some people who, yes, you interact with them through work, but actually you have such a close personal relationship with them that, that if you sat down with them and said, look, I'm working on this side project, you might feel very comfortable in that dynamic that they won't feel pressured to do it because of things getting in the way. You might, that might be something that you just feel out on a case-by-case basis. There might be some people who you think are cool to do this with and some people who well, you'd rather not and you'd rather go for anonymous people.
1: Yeah, I'd like the approach of probably mixing the two because there are some people on the list of 12. There are a couple companies where I actually know these people from MicroConf and they just happen to work at this other company. And it's more a happenstance thing rather than this is how I met you thing. So like I, I feel better about that connection than I do a different company where it's we hopped on a bunch of sales calls together and you were representing company A and I was representing company B. and And now I know you via that. So those are bucketing them into those distinctions might be useful. Cool. So what's stopping you? Is the goal here for me to just say nothing? Because I feel like that could be <laughs> the punchline of the podcast is just getting a bunch of people to say nothing. That kind of feels like my actual answer is nothing. I think I'm probably going to need to write all these things down, but thankfully this is recorded. So I can summarize it using, first I'll throw it into Whisper, then I'll throw it into Chat ChatGPT and, and get my action items from the transcript.
0: I'm reminded of Mark Andreessen, Andreessen Horowitz, has a quote that uh, in the future there will be two types of people, people who tell computers what to do and people who are told by computers what to do. You're effectively getting a computer to tell you what to do. Yeah, to I'm do telling
1: it. a computer to tell me what to do. Yeah, it's yeah, both.
0: yeah, There's one other angle of this that I'm curious to explore. You mentioned that there's a dozen projects in this project graveyard that you've taken from
1: idea to domain name to MVP and then
0: it died. Why did they die?
1: Ah, These are good questions. Different ones for different reasons. I've been evolving the the segment I want to serve. I've been thinking about this as at first I would just come up with what do I think good ideas for products are. And it's those kind of tend to start out in consumer space. They slowly moved into like prosumer space. This is the first like fully B2B thing I've built. And I really like I don't think scratching your own itch in the B2C space is a good idea. And I've done that plenty of times and it's failed quite a few. So I guess project selection is probably the number one reason a lot of my projects had failed. The other reason is motivation, right? I think I very much agree that like a startup dies when the founder runs out of energy, not out of money. And Although a bunch of companies not able to raise rounds over the next couple months will disagree with that sentence, but the that definitely holds true for my side projects. When I've picked things where I wasn't passionate about the audience, passionate about the customer, things like that, I've had a hard time like sticking with those projects. I've been building up my skill set over the course of all of these different tools. Right, I've built plenty of things. My first one, I didn't even know how to collect payment. I had no clue how to do. I was mostly a front-end dev to start, and so I didn't even know how to get an API key for Stripe and do some of these things. I also always had, like, DevOps done for me at my jobs, so I didn't ever have the experience of creating a new CI/CD pipeline and getting things deployed and getting, like, a cert and all these other things. And a slight plug for Vercel here, actually, one of the reasons I joined the company is, like, Vercel is the tool that let me become capable of shipping full products Because it's a lot easier to ship a backend and ship things that scale and you don't have to worry about like serverless is just, it's so nice and it's easy serverless. So that's, yeah, I've just been building up my toolkit or tool belt. Rob Walling says, yeah, you're building up, he's got the stair step methodology, right? Mm -hmm. And each stair step you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be building more tools in the tool belt and getting better at things. Strangely, all of my projects have failed and not made revenue, (laughs) but I have learned quite a few things. And I guess failure, failure is a relative term, right? I've, I sold one of my projects recently that I was thinking about shutting down for a small sum of money. So I guess that's not a failure. I just stopped supporting it though. But yeah, I learned things. I learned the customers I want to serve via those iterations and I've landed on selling to companies like Vercel, which is uh, dev tool company. That's the space I want to continue to serve because I think it's going to continue to grow. I also think that there's not a ton of companies out there that are niching into that specific segment, and I've got a lot of knowledge there.
0: Okay, let me, let me try to summarize and see if I understand. It sounds like there are three main reasons why... Characterize that your graveyard of a dozen projects have failed. The first is building something for B2C, scratching your own itch as a consumer, is not a way to get high paying customers. That's a way to, to attract tinkerers, and that's mm-hmm. not a great foundation for a business. The second is a loss of motivation that don't. Oh. I think I fully understand that. What helps you feel motivated when working on a project and what, what's happening when that motivation goes away?
1: Yeah, so one project I made that I just stopped was a tool for doing remote all-hands software. And that was a tool that, yes, served a business, but um, be like, I just didn't really care about HR-type software or company engagement software, like whatever you want to call that space. It's just something I didn't care about. It was a great idea. I was working on it before COVID. Probably would have made a bunch of money if I had it live before everyone was forced into remote. But I just stopped building it because I, I just didn't. I wasn't passionate in that space, if that makes sense. Okay. And like I could have pushed through on that, but life's short. Why build software you don't want to?
0: Started the idea because you were passionate about
2: Something I started
1: it. the idea because my company adopted remote for the first time and I was like, this remote all hands sucks. Just watching a just watching an all hands presentation over Teams and then throwing questions into chat and praying that the live production crew sees them and answers them is it's horrible.
0: But then the motivation evaporated because you realized you didn't actually care about the
1: Yeah, uh, like it was a good problem, but I wasn't passionate about fixing it. I just saw a good problem that businesses would pay for, which is good. That's a good skill to have of identifying those things. But I think I've just over time become more aware of things I will and will not follow through on. I know myself better in that sense. And so I've slowly but surely whittled down that that range of products that I want to work on.
0: Okay. It's... It- sounds almost like a joke to me to say that working on a sales tool for like dev dev tool sales pipelines fixes that like passion thing that that sounds like a very like boring corporate
1: project that I'm is not. the beauty of it is it's so boring no one else is going to be interested in it but me and it's also uh, it's also something like so when i was interviewing at companies vercel was the top of my list it was the company i wanted to work at most so i don't see myself leaving Vercel anytime soon and this is something that will definitely make my job better at Vercel if I can use it in the day job hmm. so I've also got that forced like I'm not going anywhere plus this tool makes my day job better so there's a little more fit there if that makes sense
0: yes yeah and the fact that you're living and breathing this problem day to day that that does track for me that this is a problem space that you're thinking a lot about this is I would also feel passionate about building a thing that would save me personally a bunch of time.
1: In this yeah, day. if you've so, seen all the emails I had to send back and forth, you would understand why I'm passionate about this space.
0: For, for sure. Sha, what are your thoughts here and the reasons that the
2: previous projects have failed? I think I can relate to a lot of it. It's the first thing. And I think there is something to be said for like those spaces where you are passionate. And I understand what you're saying about you can be passionate about the day-to-day work of the initial stages of building something whilst not being passionate about the wider problem space that you're solving. Like, I I hear that. You can be very motivated and passionate about doing that initial work, even if you don't care about the, the end goal that it's serving. And if you can get those in alignment and be passionate about both, then that's awesome. I'm also, the thing that's front of mind in my head as you say this stuff is this idea that motivation, that we have it the wrong way around when we talk about motivation being the cause of action. That more often it's the other way around yeah that it's cyclical but it can be more useful to look at it the other way around like the action causes motivation you might not be motivated but then you sit down and you grind and you do the thing anyway yeah and that causes things to become exciting again so it's also that's a trap I, that i think a lot i agree of, with know, that
1: actually we've probably what we've probably through this conversation just witnessed actually It's just that I've grown up a lot over the last five years. I I used to much more fall into the camp of if I'm not motivated to work on this, then I won't and things like that. But the change, I think some folks at YC talk about this, like they actually see founders become more passionate about their business as it's successful. They start out and they're like passionate about it. But because it works, then they become passionate about the space. There's a good video they just put out on their youtube channel about like picking a problem to work on and i think for me it's much more that i i think i've learned that yes you're 100 percent right taking action does generate the motivation i have a much better productivity routine now than i did when all of those projects failed even though I'm busier, I somehow get more done. So 100% agree on what I've been doing recently is wake up at 6 a.m., go to the gym for 30 minutes, come back and code for two hours every morning on this project. And that itself has kept me motivated in making progress on this. Even when I don't have a ton of time to work on it, I don't have any customers yet, things like that. very much agree that action gives you energy.
2: Yeah, and that like what you're saying there about if you're you've it sounds like you've shifted perspective a little bit to your marker of success and feeling fulfilled in what you're doing is i've gone and done this action like i've got up i've gone to the gym and i've sat down and coded rather than it being tied to the the external out of your control like this must be this needs to make x amount of money for me to feel like it's focusing on those intrinsic motivations and actions is i think is the way forward the and then i think like within that it's important to draw that line and make sure that you don't have any of your like that sense of those previous ones that didn't work out that those don't play into any kind of identity self-image of oh i build things that aren't successful it's like drawing that (laughs) line in the sand and saying you know what i've learned from those things and those ones didn't make tons of money but this is the new one and this is this is the first one that I'm ever doing with all the knowledge and skills and everything
1: that I've learned from the past. Yeah, this is the first one I've built. The la- The last one I worked on, Trislator. that was the first one I built where I felt I actually had enough knowledge to build a full SaaS, like a full multi-tenant, scalable, payments work, everything works. That was the first time I took a stab and felt like, I built a really good product here that works. And so in terms of all the like other 12, yeah, I don't really put them in the same bucket of failures because I was just learning how to deploy a website. My first one I built was share-a-podcast.com. First of all, don't put dashes in your domain names. Pay for better (laughs) domain names. And I didn't even know how to like build a backend and connect to a database for my front-end website then. So is that a failure or is that like me playing with new tech and learning it? I'm I'm not going to put it in the bucket of a failure because I actually figured out how to deploy something. I think it might have been the first time I used Vercel back when it was called Zite. Yeah, like I I think a lot of these things, at least for me, the fact that led me to even getting a job I really enjoy is we talked about the money piece of it too. It's like, I actually don't, at previous jobs, my goal was how quickly can I make this thing make money so I can quit my job. At Vercel, I very much enjoy my job and I'm not going anywhere. And so that motivation has gone away. So now i am I have removed the... I don't want to call the money thing... It's not an impure source of motivation, but it can be one that distorts your view a little bit. Like money can... If you need money and you want to leave your job, I think you'll tend to at least... I'll start project. stop projecting here and talk about myself. I tended to work on things I thought could make me money more quickly because I was like, hey, if I can get to 10K MRR, then I can quit. Or whatever that number is, right? But now, since that's not on the table, I'm actually working on a bigger project that I think can have more impact that will be more useful. Anyway, just food for thought for people who feel like if you do want to quit your job too badly, You might accidentally look for shortcuts, so maybe don't look for shortcuts is my advice to the audience here.
0: I like this framing that the place where you're at now, having walked on these stair steps, this is the third thing I was going to bring up. You are more capable as a founder. You're more capable in building things. This last project you work on, TriSlater, was the first thing that you built that was deployed, that had the DevOps thing figured out, that had the billing thing figured out. And you're now shifting towards more of a B2B mindset, figured out things from a business perspective. So building registered.dev has the highest probability of being, I don't like using the word successful. I think Shah had a good point there of changing. Profitable. Profitable, yeah. A a profitable project. Yeah. Sounds like you have a high probability of getting to this place, certainly in the next decade, I think you said, was your goal of shifting towards having a product be the main source of your income. I'd like to bring us home a little
2: bit. How are you feeling about this project and what do you currently see as your next steps? Oh, okay. Can I do a bringing home because it's going to lead well into that? Yes, of course. I wanted to just, I know you said that you wanted to build out your action items moving forward by taking this transcript and putting it in chat GPT, but I would like to encourage, I'd love to see just a brief summary yourself of what are your takeaways of immediate next actions.
1: Yeah. From this. So immediate next actions i think i'm going to try to find 12 more customers that i am interested in this early feedback stage so if i frame the 12 that i already had lined up as the 12 that i want to have a good first impression of the product and yada because i think they're the most likely to close then i'll just go find 12 more that look like them but are different that i don't have those feelings about protecting the, those relationships. So I'll just go find 12 more of those and then send them some cold email or a LinkedIn connection. Or i actually, think the nice part about selling to Dev Tool companies is all of these people are on Twitter. So I will probably just find them on Twitter and DM them on Twitter because that's going to work way better than a LinkedIn DM. And that's the phase for getting feedback on not going to wait until I have something fully finished. I think I'm just going to go have those conversations and. I'll reach out to 12, probably expect a 20% yes rate. So I'll only have a couple conversations, but it's better than none. And then I'll get just, I'll probably go steal the deploy empathy scripts and just do those conversations with that bucket of 12. If it confirms what I'm building, then I'm probably just going to go full speed ahead on building and getting to that demo state where then I can reach out to those other 12 customers. There's probably another bucket of, like, how do I want to start thinking about the CRM stuff and and integrating with it? But it's a problem for tomorrow. Or not tomorrow, but future True. He'll figure that out.
2: Okay, so that next step of finding those 12 and reaching out to them, how long is that going to take you? Like, waiting to hear back from them is different, but like, the action that you can take, how quickly can you do that? I could probably
1: find 12 today and send those messages. I was planning on coding more today, but maybe maybe I'm doing old outreach instead.
2: Maybe, or definitely, because it's already today. Um, it's already today. Right okay, so, so I'm doing cold you're gonna outreach today. are going to have to make this decision.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm doing cold outreach today. That's the takeaway. Okay.
2: To 12 right. people by the end of today?
1: Yeah, it's very doable. Okay, wonderful. I'm and so now... I'm
0: confused by the timeline. We're currently recording this today.
1: Yeah, this is today. <laughs> today the day that we're, <laughs> that we're Today is the day.
2: Okay, and so now, with that in mind, can we draw a circle back to Christian's question, which I believe was, how are you feeling about
1: this action list moving forward? Fairly good. I think it's rather straightforward. I think, um, I think, yeah, because I think the only thing that I'm like, ah, getting all these, spending all this time on conversation is a waste of time when I could be coding and making progress on the code. But I think that's the developer's intuition, right? That's like a good time is coding time and all other time is wasted. But I, I know that's not correct. Like I work in sales now. So I, I understand how much of how much work can happen that is not coded. But yeah, I guess there's no but. That's the point of this podcast is to remove the qualifying but statement from whatever your blocker is, right? If you are indeed blocked, remove the qualification and just let the sentence stand on its own. So I guess there is no but.
2: Yeah, and I guess, I mean, look, there, there can be a of, but that feels scary.
1: Oh, that's fair. But the, I think the, the problem space I'm working on is one that I'm very interested in, and I don't plan on changing the problem space for quite a while. If this product doesn't work, I will build another product in the same space. So until I solve problems from this set of customers and they're willing to trade me money for the, solving those problems, I'm not done with so any work I do in that direction is useful. So I think, I guess even if it is scary, what I'm saying is there's no escaping it. Like I, I've decided this is what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that, that's the thing with, this is the typical, I love how you framed it just now is th- that developer's intuition that the best thing to be doing is coding. It's, it's such a like, nice diplomatic way of saying we're really scared of marketing. Oh but... yeah,
1: marketing, sales. <laughs> the sales engineering, I actually, I took this job for a couple of reasons. One was one was to the who wouldn't take a job at Vercell. Vercell's amazing. I, I love working here, it's such a great company. It's amazing to see the future of what's being built on the internet before it's built. I can randomly DM the person who made the decision on why React Server Components works the way it does, rather than just like reading some blog post on a forum or something. But the other reason was I really wanted to like learn the rest of the business learn sales get comfortable on sales calls and i remember two jobs ago we used to do demos where like we'd make a feature and then you'd have to demo it to to the rest of the engineering team and after your sprint was over and i remember getting like really nervous for those and now i can go yeah, I can do lunch and learns for big companies that, that I can't name and do a lunch and learn for 150 of their engineers and be fine. So that's the other reason of like why I took this job is it. I knew that if I wanted to jump into the founder space, just cranking code out every day is not the best way to do it.
0: That feels reassuring to me that even with this base of this professional experience at your day job demoing and doing sales calls. You're in a sales role. It There can still be some emotional resistance to
1: doing marketing for your own thing. Oh, yes. On
0: the phone to show them something that you've made can still have that emotional resistance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Emphatically, yes. Vercell is, while it is an amazing company and everything, it's not my product. It's not me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I work for the company. The company isn't me. And I think with our startups, we tend to wrap some self-identity in them right this is my thing if they say no are they saying no to me or are they saying no to the product and so there's these two things naturally get conflated when it's the thing you've built but when there's a bug with Versell, I just go create a ticket in a backlog somewhere and it's not personal so yeah I think the resistance will always kind of be there even if you are in a sales call and you'll or in a sales-based role, and I feel no shame talking about Vercel's features at large and getting pushback from architects and principal engineers at, I'm having a hard time not saying companies here because I probably shouldn't be, but very large companies, Fortune 10, and getting pushback about, okay, hey, we can't deploy with you because XYZ. Yeah, so I'm fine in that whole domain, and yet... I still don't want to go ask for feedback about my little side project from, yeah, from somebody. Can be
0: personal. If someone criticizes the product, it's that's yeah. your idea, it's the thing that you've built. That... Something I've only recently impacted is how incredibly sensitive to rejection I am and criticism. And something as simple as doing customer support emails for File Inbox was this minefield of people saying that I'm bad. And I think, therefore, it was the logic I was following. Because I'm bad, I'm unworthy of love and unlovable. <laughs> I'm like... All this stuff that got tied into it and being able to be aware of that and realize what was happening has helped me to be able to find effective ways to manage it, which has been very helpful.
1: Yeah, I think there's two ways people can go about learning things. I've started working on a blog post for like why people might want to consider sales engineering and way one. Of learning is go find a job that teaches you the things you want to learn so that you can build up this skill set and then take it and go on your founder journey and look you've got the tools you're hopefully more equipped to handle this Mm. but option two is people just jump into the fire of running a startup they don't go build all of the skill sets they think they need they just it's a trial by fire jump into the deep end add all the metaphors in here you want and i think both work but the thing about the skill set I've been building at Vercel is it's very much companies post product market fit. Like Vercel has product market fit. And so while I am learning a bunch of sales skills and things like that, I think they translate nicely to if you have product market fit. My skill set in the like companies that don't have product market fit space is still very, it's still very new territory for me. Yes, all of my products have not probably had product market fit but the iterative process to get to product market fit, like I'm just inching along that continuum.
0: Sean, do you have any closing thoughts for our first episode of What's Stopping You?
2: The one thing I wanted to add is I think a lot of the things that we've talked about here, the like losing motivation for things, the just all sorts of things that have come up today, I think a lot of them get solved by taking this next step that you're talking about, which is to involve... Other people, bring in those potential customers, do a bit of research, find out if this is what they would want or what problems they have. I think that next step just solves so much of this. And it's an incredibly scary or intimidating step to take in a lot of ways because the space that you're in right now, position you're in right now, of I have these dozen people who in the future I could speak with, that's a very comfortable place to be that you have that in the future and to then go and actually speak to those you're destroying that safety net that you have of like, you'll always have that to look forward to or to do when you're ready. Yeah, I think this is a very good step for you to be taking and I I look forward to seeing whether it gets done today or whether any new resistance comes up, which would also be totally legit and I'd be interested to hear that, but I think this is a good path forward just in
1: so many ways. I think the takeaway is burn the boats. Just gotta burn the boats. I think there's a lot of if you were to look back at all my previous projects, and I know we were doing takeaways and wrap-ups, so apologize for ruining it, but I probably didn't burn the boats on any of my previous side projects. I probably didn't go all in on any of them. Maybe you could say try Slater, I did, but that's debatable. I didn't even I didn't even ask anybody in my network for feedback before pushing a V1 live. Yeah. Burn the boats. That's my takeaway.
0: I'm gonna push a little bit on that because you're still burn burn the boats for me would be like you quit your day job oh (laughs) burn
1: burn the boats on the emotional like don't be afraid of of the lead
0: walking away if they're not interested in the product as it currently exists yeah okay don't be afraid of the boats catching on fire if they happen to catch on fire
1: yeah if the boats happen to catch on fire don't intentionally set them on fire but if they catch on fire it's fine i like that okay (laughs) it's
0: Uh, not a big deal Building a little bit off of what I said, the that general problem of the fear of converting potential into realized output is consistently terrifying for me in my life. That's something I unpacked recently. It's a very comfortable position to be sitting in. This thing might happen in the future and I have, oh, all I have to do is send out an email to this email list and then something cool will happen. Then the good things happen. Right. And that's a very scary first step to take of, oh, this, this is the test of if that's actually going to happen. So that's a fear to be conscious of drew thank you so much for being the very first guest on what's stopping you this has been a ton of fun i'm glad that sounds like you you know what your next step is sounds like the answer to what's stopping you right now is nothing and i'm excited to find out what what the next thing stopping you might be
2: should we do like
0: where to follow you or i don't know what i don't know what to do at the end of the episode i
2: thought you were gonna propose singing like a little jingle i was so excited (laughs) We're Ready for the Yeah, where can it's people nothing. find out more Stop about it. you, Drew?
1: I guess just drew.tech is probably the best place to find me on the internet or on Twitter. You can always find me on Twitter. But that's, those are probably the big ones. And then I guess if you're a dev tool person, please send me an email at hey at drew.tech, especially if you're in the sales side of a dev tool company.
0: Sounds good. Drew, if you know anyone who you think would benefit from having a conversation with Shy and I, talking about what's stopping them. Or if there's any listener who would like to go through the same sort of thing that Drew did, either on or off the record, we have an option if you would like a conversation not turned into a podcast. You can either go to what's stopping you.fm or you can private message Shy or me on Twitter and we'll have links for those in the bio. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.